Muska. Welcome to another episode of Unapologetically Black on WOVULP Cleveland 95.9 FM. We are your host, E. King and Just Ice. What's good, bro? What's happening, everybody? What's happening? What's happening? How you feel today, man? Feeling beautiful. Feeling great. You got any shout outs this week? Shout out to the lovely Hollywood Beach. Okay. It <laughs> was nice and clean today. <laughs> feeling being out there. What did you see today? Dude, as, as you probably could imagine, I have no clue what you're talking about. No clue. Because uh, for everybody that don't know, and you should know by now, my brother's in Miami and I'm in Cleveland. And so we do this thing via technology. So I give a shout out to technology. So <laughs> for today's topic, we have uh, today we're going to talk talk about mental health and so today's topic is black males and therapy so joining us on this topic via the phone line we have aaron muller chief operating officer and therapist at life matters uh psychological service so aaron is also a school social worker for the department of education and behavioral health consultants for kings county anti-violence program what's going on aaron what's up man thank you Oh, man, I thank you for being here, man. Uh, now, give, let everybody know where you are calling from. I'm calling from, uh, well, I'm currently in Brooklyn, New York, at my school. Mm-hmm. Um, the school is always done. Um, school's finished. And, um, and my office is in Valley Street. Okay, okay. And, Josh, you from, you from New York. Y'all both, yeah, I, I, I swear to God, both y'all, both of y'all sound alike, man. When I talked to Aaron yesterday for for uh, pre-show prep, the first thing I said, I said, yeah, man, you sound like justice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you sound like justice. Man. Once again, this topic is uh, black males and therapy, and I really appreciate you guys coming on. One of the things that we do before we get into our topic, we tell us more about yourself and also about Life Matters Psychological Services. So I am a licensed master social worker. Um, I went to school and got my master's degree in social work. Prior to that, I attended Queens College and got my Bachelor's in Sociology. Um, during that time, I was working at a methadone program for uh, persons addicted to heroin. So that's where I first got my start working with uh, the substance abuse population. And then I felt the need I needed to increase my clinical skills and, and kind of really get a deep understanding of what they did and, and understand behaviors and theory and all that stuff. So I went back to school, got my master's degree, and um, the rest is history. Um, I met my wife in high school, and then we um, separated for many years, and she was doing her uh, PhD in psychology at the time, and then we reconnected and um, got engaged, got married, had a baby, then opened the practice, so that's where Life Matters mm-hmm. came from, um, so we're both the owners and, and both see clients. We also provide a service where you see married couples that um, provide therapies, people enjoy that getting two married people that are that can kind of work with couples and stuff like that. So that was received very well. Cool, cool. Um, that's basically what we do. So we kind of work hand in hand in, in the business and take care of our son. Okay. Congratulations, brother. Right, man. This I think it's the first time that we've had three black brothers in the same spot that have mental health uh, 
specialties. Is this still oh, your specialty? Yeah, 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 yeah. Background, right? And so I, I, like I said, this this topic is real is real uh, dear to my heart, and I know Justin and I we talk about just the quality of mental health. Period. But this one is a little bit special because we're talking specifically about black males and and dealing with uh, mental health struggles. So another thing that we like to ask our guests is, and it's a really a standard question. So when did you become aware of your blackness? I guess I became aware of my blackness. It's on the time where there's kind of just no development who you are and that you're a boy and that you're a black boy. So I guess we were on the age of five or six. I mean, there's nothing that was was taught to me and I also learned learned that I came from a West Indian background, so I'm definitely um, in terms of culture and norms and stuff like that. So that was, I would say, around the age of five when you're kind of aware of things. So I was aware that I um, am a black um, boy, and I was aware that I am a uh, Jamaican and a Ruben descent. So that was kind of um, drilled into me. Okay. Okay. I, I have a question on that. Um, you was aware of it at five, but when would you conscious of it? Or... Is there, and, and don't let me force that consciousness on your blackness, if you will, but, you know, it's, is there a separation between, for instance, the five-year-old that understood that he was five and maybe the 13-year-old, um, excuse me, the five-year-old that understood that he was black and maybe the 13-year-old that understood he was black? Well, I guess in terms of, like I said, development, so I guess to answer your question, where you really get an understanding, I would say you're right towards T. So if you're talking about, oh, I guess how definitely in terms of like conscious of it so if we want to go on a deeper level i would say maybe around 11 my earliest age i would say is 11 in terms of really understanding the consciousness of it my parents talking to me about being a black male in, in society that's where i learned like hard work and that nothing comes easy i put hard for it but i guess i was taught and i guess my own understanding of it and what i need to do around the age of 11. Mm-hmm. And so, how did that that West Indian Indian background, um, that Jamaican background, play into your consciousness and your awareness? I know you mentioned a little bit of before, but could you talk a little bit more about that? Right. So, uh, my family coming, you know, coming here and and working and working hard. My grandmother started working, you know, for cleaning up people's homes and taking care of um, people's children and stuff like that. You know, my father's. Father side from Aruba is the same thing. My grandmother came here, and you know, you leave your children back home um, when you come here for a better life, set set things in place for them. So it's kind of instilled that you, you know, working hard, you can come here and, and acquire a home. So that's kind of like the vision is, you know, and be able to take care of your children. So that was that's what I was that's what I was taught. It was kind of a kind of a something that I saw, something that you see, and something that is you know taught to you. So you kind of Demonstrate that and emulate that yourself. Okay. Good. You got any, anything to add on that, Jess? No, no. Okay. Very understanding. Um, you know, I think the piece that I, we kind of talked about this on another time and, and, and reiterated, you know, is uh, that he touched base on, um, and to be honest with you, for me, is a, is a thorn in my side, but that West Indian or the, the, the necessity to separate. Um, and I, and I'm not saying that his family did that. Mm-hmm. It comes up, and I and I just want to kind of point that out because I believe that we'll be able to come back to this later mm-hmm. um, as it relates to the topic. Um, but I think that that plays a big factor in the type of black male. Mm-hmm. 
and especially you know with him working in the school in Brooklyn and you know so forth and so on. Right. I, I believe that, that that has a place. But actually, that's the second question. You know, standard question that we ask: How does your blackness and even your your understand? How did your blackness and even your your black background affects your or impacts your um, your work in mental health? Well, you understand the nuances, the, the customs, cultures, and and, and and you just be able to relate on a different level. Um, working with working with younger couples and, and working with young children, you understand the vernacular. You can understand different things that mean something that's a, a substance that they may not be understood in other cultures. Being able to understand small things, um, it makes a difference. I've had you know clients really say that, wow, I can't believe that you know you understood my my, my vernacular, you understand my slang, and the, the dialogue could just flow. Mm-hmm. That makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so, something that I think that they can identify with. You know, uh, you know, a lot of times, and in, in my experience, you know, I, I work for instance at a, a home in Cleveland, and majority of the individuals there were European. So the majority of the students that were there were of African descent, mm-hmm. um, and so of course, you know, the individuals who look like them could relate to them, and we could translate a lot of the technical jargon and the technical anecdotes into things that were, you know, personable to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's, you know, the key to doing it. Um, I would. Uh, I would venture to say that you know he had a bit more of a upbringing. Um, he had a bit more of a tool that is uh, that is better. And I don't know if I'm, I'm again I'm putting this on you, but it sounds like he had a little bit more tools in his belt um, because of his upbringing. Because there was this sense of responsibility to work hard and, and to do all of those things. Um, and, and is that kind of where and that where we where we at? That sounds like about. Right, but even even so, even if that's because I, I was presented with those tools, it doesn't mean that you have to accept it. Because there's a lot of people who have had great lives and still made made a decision, whether it be through peer pressure or just trauma, that they go in a different direction. So um, mm-hmm. it's just it's just how resilient you are in terms of what you've been through, in terms mm-hmm. of being able to persevere. So I mean, I thank God that I've been able to um, move forward. Um, you you was able to take some of the, your responsibility. Exactly, and hold myself accountable. So, uh, and and I wouldn't blame anyone. It's like if I want if if I don't like school, like I share with my students here, like I don't love school. I don't, and I acknowledge that I hated school. I don't like studying. I don't like reading. But I know I can't sing or dance, so I have to do something with myself. So I have to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what it is. So I have to hold myself accountable. I don't like school, but I know I want to. Somebody and make some money. There's something that there's some things you just got to do. Right, right. And it and and what's interesting and once again, this is one of the best things to have three brothers with a mental health background. What I found more in in dealing with mental health and dealing with kids and other people is that they really enjoy the fact of that you look like me, you are like me, and so that that myth that there's no such thing as identity medicine, that's that's a myth because I've had individuals that are people of color say, I can appreciate the fact that finally I have a black male that I can speak with about my struggles because in Ohio and in Cleveland, it is primarily white women that does this work. Absolutely. And, that, and they appreciate even um, 
you know, just just having, like you said, having someone look like them, and I and I enjoyed that having you know, my own practice. I could dress like how I want, and I could wear jeans, and I could wear sneakers, and the kids could appreciate that. Wow, oh, I have I have those Jordans or whatever like that, and that can start a conversation, especially when if they don't really want to come. Um, just that's like a great icebreaker, like oh wow. You got those Jordans, and it starts a great conversation from there, particularly mm-hmm. to other things. But, exactly. Um, just having some type of point. Exactly. Exactly. You got anything to add on that before we uh, hit our first break? Nah, nah. I think it's great. Okay. It's start. I am going to uh, address some things in the second break, but you know, we'll wait till the second break. Okay. Uh, <laughs> On the other side of our break, so we got we're gonna have our typical break, you know, with our music break and station ID. But on the other side, we're gonna have a um, a poet by the name of Rudy Francisco, and what he's gonna be talking about is the title of his poem is "The Heart and the Fist," and we're gonna talk a lot about because our topic is black uh, black men in mental health or black men in therapy. We're gonna talk about the idea that men what emotions are men are allowed to express. And when I say allowed, I'm talking about socially allowed um, and what type of, just what type of way we can, we can express emotions because the angry black male is a very uh, (laughs) prominent view of black men as well as uh, black, black people in general, but we do have other emotions. And this uh, young man talks about his first fight his first identification with emotions and things like that so on the other side of the break we're gonna get into that uh you are listening to unapologetically black on wovu lp cleveland 95 when i was six i was taught how to throw a punch in the 80s that was the anti-bullying movement the first time the first time one of my classmates took a yo mama joke a little too far, I remembered my training, so I turned his nose into a fountain, my fist five pennies, I closed my eyes, made a wish, I came home with bloody knuckles, and it was the first piece of artwork my family hung on the fridge. I remember staring at my hands the same way you stare at a midterm when all your answers are correct. I didn't know what class this was, but I did know I was passing, and isn't that what masculinity has become? A bunch of dudes afraid of their own feelings, terrified of any emotion other than anger, constantly yelling at the shadows on the wall, but still haven't realized that we're the ones standing in front of the light. We learn how to dodge a jab. We learn how to step in before we swing. We learn the heart is the same size as the fist, but we keep forgetting they don't have the same functions. We keep telling each other to man the fuck up when we don't know what the that even means we turn our boys we turn our boys into bayonets we point them in the wrong direction we pull their triggers and then we just ignore all the damage they're doing in the distance the word repurpose it means to take an object and give it amnesia it means to make something forget what it's been trained to do so you can use it for a better reason i am learning that this body is not a shotgun i am learning that this body is not a pistol i am learning that a man is not defined by what he can destroy. I am learning that a person who only knows how to fight can only communicate in violence, and that shouldn't be anyone's first language. I'm learning the difference, the difference between a garden and a graveyard. Welcome back. This is Unapologetically Black on WOVU LP Cleveland 95.9 FM. We are your hosts, Just Ice and E. King. Our guest today is Brother Aaron. Our topic today is Black Males in Therapy. That clip 
uh, was an excerpt of Rudy Francisco's The Heart and the Fist. And we're going to get uh, back to the clip in a minute. But today's topic is very near and dear to my heart and to, you know, the two brothers that are on there, too. I'm a black male and I'm a black I'm a black male therapist. Growing up, I can remember not hearing much about black men in therapy or even black people in therapy. When I began my career, most people told me that I would be an asset to an agency that hired me, not because of my skills, but because of my race. I have to admit that I have reaped the benefits of being black ma- a black male therapist, but I feel as though it's time to go from being a mercenary who reaps the benefit of my, of my race and, and, and earning money from it to being a missionary, to bringing more awareness to, to the struggle that black men and black people in general deal with on a mental health basis. So I wanted to get Aaron's uh, perspective on that. Uh, If you could, Aaron, give us a little, after you heard that clip, what were your thoughts um, as it relates to the topic of being black male and black men in therapy? Um, Well, she definitely said a mouthful. I don't remember everything. Right. Um, But what stood out for me was um, the man up and how that just negates uh, a, a man's feelings and what, and what he's going through. So it's just that, just forget about it and eat it. And there's something that that's, that's very um, dangerous about that. You know, just saying, "Oh, man up!" Like, so what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So that man up means to just you know forget about your, forget about what's bothering you, and and just go about your daily um, life. Right. And there's there's a cause and effect when you do that. And it's something that aligns with what you said in terms of um, it is an asset of being a black male therapist. I've gotten a lot of positions uh, because of that, and then I've been called to um, for a higher higher purpose, and that's like education and awareness, and 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 just promoting the importance of black men going to therapy. And I recognize this when I do a couple sessions, mm-hmm. realizing that these that I'm like, yo, this brother's broken. How how can you be a present boyfriend? husband or father when you have so much un- unpacking to do that's just been stuffed away. Um, and I'm talking to them like, oh, you got to be a little bit more warm and this is what your girl needs. And it's like, I don't know how to do that. What, is, what does that mean? Okay. And when I'm talking to the, to, to the wife or the girlfriend, oh, he was like that in the beginning. They come to find out he really was like that in the beginning. But when you're in the honeymoon phase, everything, like they're doing most of the talking and they're responding. So it seems like it's a, a mutual dialogue and it really is. Right. It really unpacks the right. dynamics of the relationship. Right. Um, so that's what I'm like, we need it. You know, I, I agree with you as far as the, you know, and I think I'm going to piggyback off that point of manning up. You know, I, for me, it's the confusing part of the statement. You know, when do I man up? When is it appropriate for me to man up? Um, I do believe that there are some times where you kind of have to suck it up. It might not mean, per se, to man up, you know, you know, I would say woman up or man up, whatever the case may be. But for, you know, not to play semantics, let's just say manning up. Um, and what I, and here's the part where I'm going to probably slide off to the, to the side from you guys a little bit with the mental health piece, only because I don't believe that professionals are the only ones who can help, help us. Um, and with my experience, you know, quite honestly, it's really hard to get a child to come if the parents don't support. And you have so many elders, um, even not even elders, people our age who we technically are elders now, mm-hmm. um, who really don't support mental health. And and not understanding that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go to a licensed social worker or a psychologist or whomever. 
you know, for me, mental health, you know, and I think the responsibility of it for me, my responsibility is to say that a lot of that mental health, there needs to be conversation, just dialogue. You know, now, of course, some of that dialogue might be negative, but just be willing to have the conversation and be willing to get out there and have the dialogue. You know, we started off talking a lot about the kids. Um, and again, I'm pretty sure anybody on the phone, I mean, on this line can, uh, can tell me, you know, a story that's very similar where you've worked with a child and then took that child home and realized, dang, I really need to be working at home. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where I really need to be at, you know, because all this work that I'm going to be doing here is going to be undone at the house. Right. Um, and some of that work is undone, quite frankly, in society. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell a kid to turn a cheek, but so many times, you know, before he says, you know what, I'm going to do what everybody else is doing. Um, and so for me, that manning up part is where he says, you know what, <laughs> you know, I'm going to smack this person. I'm going to take this. or I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to quit or I'm going to do whatever, because, again, they're so confused on what manning up means. You got anything to add to that? Well, my my pushback on it, to go back to what you were saying about the, the I, I also agree with you that it doesn't necessarily need to be a mental health professional that does this. But I do I do believe that we have to, as mental health professionals, take the forefront. We need we need to be we need to, if we're going to if we're going to deal with this, we're going to be need to be the spear and be the forefront and move forward and bring everybody up you know, behind us. And I think far too often that we, the reason why it has not been um, something that us black men have done is because it's not strong. It's not viewed as strong to be, to show empathy or even to show some aspects of empathy. You get, you get called, you know, a certain amount of names, you know, we can't say them on the air, but you know, to show any type of emotion other than anger, you know, that's, other than punching somebody in the face and getting, you know, the pats on the back, like he said, we we haven't been allowed to do that. And I think that we need to, as black men and being black men in therapy, we need to be on the forefront of that. Now, I don't, I I believe everybody has a responsibility, but I I would say, I think we need to be on the forefront. I agree with that. And that's where using uh, social media can kind of help that it kind of bring awareness using the platform to educate those who not be informed because they observation in terms of what what manhood is. Right. You know, and you talk about emotion and anger's on emotion, um, when there's so many other ones that uh, that we have. You know, and it's part of it we have it for you know, we have it for a reason, but there are other emotions that that are that are not developed okay. and um and utilized. And one of the one of the ways, like I don't, I don't know you, Aaron. Meaning, as in, the only way that I met you or got connected with you was via Instagram. And the one thing that stood out was, I, I guess I saw a shirt or a model, and it said, uh, "Black kings need therapy too." And when this was like months ago that I saw that, you know, where did you come up with that? Is that, you know, where, where did let's start off with that? Where did you come up with that? Well, talking to my wife and kind of developing ideas in terms of. Um, I'm like, yo, I really want to put this on a t-shirt. Like, I like, I really want to, like, broadcast it. I'm like, this needs to be, like, you know what I'm saying? After it came with, like, yo, I'm like, yo, brothers really need to start going to therapy um, individually outside, you know, outside of the couples. Like, they really need their own space and their own um, um, room just to, like, converse and talk about what's going on with them. So that's what the t-shirt, you know, I went back and forth. It's like, yeah, need therapy too because 
black women are going. Yeah. Black women are going. It's just that I'm like, so the two came is like, yo, y'all need a two. Mm-hmm. So it was like, the, you know, like in addition to like black black kings need to go, and I want to emphasize kings, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's calling each other kings and all of that. Um, but a certain level of, of maturity and emotional maturity that comes with that. So it's not just to say that you're a king, but I want to emphasize that kings go to therapy too. So if you are a king, then there's certain things that come with that. Uh, just to call yourself a king. Right. And that's, uh, so that's something that you started. Is that now your brand? Are you marketing that? Because like I said, yeah. that's the only way that I actually found you or saw you. It's like, you know what? That's an interesting and I appreciated that. To go back to your point to where you were saying that women are going, what do you think with the, with, now that you see, you see, um, what's it, Jay-Z is talking about therapy. You see Kanye talk, you know, admitting that he had bipolar. You see a lot of these more prominent individuals coming out talking more, male, black males talking about therapy. What's your thoughts on that? I, th- I mean, I think it's great because they have a fan base that is that them. So them being vocal about it, just, that just opens up a whole other um, world for, for people who may not follow Instagram or follow somebody else. And so they're reaching a whole, you know, millions of people just, just talking about it. So that is, I'm excited about it. Anytime a rapper comes out, like Big Sean talked about it recently, uh, Nate Robinson um, talked about his anxiety, right. anxiety, depression, things like that. So anytime a uh, Someone of celebrity status talks about it. I get excited. I'm like, yo, I need to find an article and um, post it because I'm really not excited that they have this poorly diagnosis, but it's real. But I'm glad that they are open about it and, um, and spreading it, spreading it to others, to like, be vulnerable and open about it, especially black brothers. So Jay Z talking about it and Kanye, um, I think is a good thing. Yeah, this is where the justice part come in, right? The justice part come in at where. How do we define? How do we? How do? Yeah. How do we define that ne- that necessity? How do we? And and okay. And I'm going to give you a small example. You know, I've been doing mental health for the better part of 20 years, right? And I have at least 20 examples. I'm like, I've been thinking about it, right? 20 examples of brothers who have, if you will, um, he's saying earlier, you have to have a responsibility. There's a lot of people who who have had the help but won't accept the responsibility that they're supposed to have. And I've had a lot of individuals who will pretend like they're having a mental health issue because it's their out. And so how can we save a brother from pretending? Um, because obviously we all know, and I think that's one of the benefits of being a brother and dealing with, with them, is that we kind of know the nuances or the, the, uh, when you're being fake, when you're being phony. You know? And I'll give a, a real good example. I had a brother who was a selective mute for the better part of two years. When I got hired on, within six months, that brother was out of the facility. Now, this is a grown man. Mm-hmm. Now, he talked to me because I had to come at him, honestly, like I would come at any brother on the street. And once I came at him that way and started threatening him with the realities of where his selective nudism was going to take him, you know, what psych ward he was going to, what this, what that, then all of a sudden he could speak. You know, and so I, I always am the, going to be that person that's going to, you know, stay on the responsible side, you know, what are going to be the traits? What are the, what are, what things are brothers going to be looking for to be like, you know what? I need to go see counseling. Not necessarily for, as opposed to going to just having a conversation with some dudes or some good guys. You get what I'm saying? I think there's a difference between 
us, me and E. King having a conversation on Wednesday afternoon as opposed to me going to Brother Troy uh, um, on Saturday and sitting on his couch. There's a big difference between those two. Well, absolutely. So it depends on, depends on the person's need. It can be very therapeutic because I have, I have a lot of brothers as clients who don't have that, that brotherhood camaraderie to talk to somebody, which, which is a lack. And they can mm-hmm. feel really depressed about it. And just having that conversation, meeting them with a friend and going to Applebee's to the bar, that could be very therapeutic too. So it depends. I mean, now if there's some trauma, PTSD, and, and of course they're going to need a licensed professional. Um, to so explain trauma, because I think that's the part that we would we met, because we know what trauma means. We know what PTSD means, but a lot of brothers don't really know what that, what that trauma means. So you get what I'm saying? So if we're, again, we're talking to, to, to the masses, and when we're talking to the masses, what kind of things are you looking for? What kind of trauma, you know, would you suggest would definitely need a therapist? I would be mindful about, about say, fit this criteria that you need to because it depends on how resilient they are and how they deal with it. If you are feeling uncomfortable and, and you need somebody to talk to, then go talk to somebody. That's how I blank it. I don't really want to put it, I don't put it in criteria here. If you experience uh, abandonment, yes, I'm sure. And some people who are CEOs of companies that experience abandonment. If you're feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling that unresolved issues, you're feeling that you go in circles, you're spinning in, in your head, then go talk to somebody. That's the way I, I blanket. I don't like to, you know, say this criteria or anything like that. If you, and I don't know if I'm correct or right in terms of saying if they're pretending or not, but there's something about you that brought that out. Whether if it was foot therapy, as I call it, and you just calling it like it is. Or something would you, wait, 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 go back. What'd you call it? Foot therapy. <laughs> I like that. That's what I call it, foot therapy. So, yeah, that's, it's common in New York. Right. So whether you whether it was fake or not, it's something that caused him to not, which is a concern at the age I'm hearing. And whether he was fake or not, you being his life and, and, and talking to him really, keeping it a hundred, that brought it out. So that was your intervention. Okay. It, it, I think, and what's interesting, and this is what this is what make mental health so difficult, is when we want to put it in this box. And when I was listening to just you know, asking about specific, specific, specifics. It's not a specific. It's not, it's, you know, when you look at resilience, uh, you know, we look at... He, he did give specifics, though. Well, no, I mean, he didn't give... What he stated first was, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of irresponsible to give specifics, you know, of a, if, you, if this happened to you, then right. you I'm automatically right. need... Right, right. that's... I gave, the, an, I gave an example, but right. I identified that there's no way I've, you know, there's, there's so many people in the world that are spectrum. Exactly. You know, so I would need to speak with them. That, and that my real statement was, if you feel uncomfortable or whatever, you know, to somebody, bam, go. Seriously. Right. Exactly. And so and chop it up and chop it up in therapy. And that's where that's where mental health or people try to cut and dry mental health. It's like, oh, you did this, you did this, or you automatically need to go see somebody. No, it's if you have if you have an, a traumatic event in your life, and it can be trauma can be something as simple as breaking your leg and not being able to walk. You know, and that's do, trauma. Right. The that's, word I use is trauma. Right. Trauma because you want to break down trauma. Trauma is anything. If I right. if I have a flat tire on my wedding day or my way to my wedding, that's traumatic. Exactly. 
Exactly. And it's all it's all about how you deal with it. So how you perceive it. How you perceive it. And one of the ways that so right now we have a lot of videos that are going around about, you know, white people harassing black people in quote unquote white spaces. I've had I've had individuals reach out to me and saying I'm having a visceral response to this when I go into places like Dairy Queen or whatever. What is this? And what I'm telling them is you're having possibly uh, compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma, whatever have you. That's still trauma. Now, it now it, it may bother somebody over here. It may bother somebody over there. But if you have an visceral, if you have a response that is affecting you, then you've been you've been traumatized. And yes, you may or may not need to see somebody. You may not need a total intervention or you may need that hood intervention like y'all was talking about. And, and and I think the thing that I would like to, to clean up with help to help with the, the topic is saying that therapy is therapy. You know, it can be, and, and I think you made a great point. This morning I had a, a Fenderman, true story, on the way to the beach, you know, and again, I had to think in my brain, you know what, make it to the beach. Once you get to the beach, you're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. You know, that trauma, what we're talking about as a car accident, some individuals aren't able to say, you know what, I'm going to make it to the beach. It's going to be all right once I get there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you guys are talking about, mm-hmm. saying, hey, go have a conversation with someone so that way you can still continue on with your day. Right. Go have a conversation with someone so you can still continue on with your plans or whatever the case may be. And it may mean that you just have a, a conversation with your friend or whomever, but you know what? A counselor really knows what they're doing. Right. And then when we take it back, I, I do, I do want to bring the, the um, let me have you guys talk about why you guys are better equipped to deal with things as opposed to, um, honestly, your family members. Meaning as in specifically us as black men no, in therapy? Well, you can do it as black men. Yeah, well, I think since we don't apologize black, and tell me if this is something that you don't want to address. I think it's important. Let's bring Aaron in so he understands. You understand what I mean, Aaron, by having individuals who really aren't qualified doing it and why, you know, there's a necessity for you as opposed to that family member or that, that friend or whomever? Right. So I, so I feel like I feel like people's intentions are good. I come from a very close friend. Um, so I feel like people's intentions are good, but they may not have the necessary skills or tools to be equipped to unpack once they you know, go in. So, you know, you have you can't just leave someone raw like that. So that's where I become concerned um, in terms of like, okay, okay, so a lot of people calling themselves therapists and things like that, and I'm like, okay, so you don't have the bones that I do um, or the training that I get. And I'm not, and I'm not hating at all. Training, and there was uh, anxiety that was built from uh, working jobs and doing internships and papers and, and uh, process recordings and all that stuff. So there's, there's more to it than just calling yourself that. You understand what I'm saying? There's something that comes with that stripes that you get that um, deals with your own stuff in order to be able to equip someone else, to be able to, to be equipped to help someone else. So um, having the training, having uh, the resources and the tools to um, help yourself after certain things that the you know, leading person may not have. You understand? So I applaud I people who want to help and things like that, just that be mindful and just refer. You know what I'm saying? Talk to them, and if you see it, you know, in, in this day and age, everyone is educated on mental health. It's not something that's foreign. It's being spoken about everywhere. Um, just encourage them to. And I get a lot of questions like that. 
which is really great. How can I encourage? Um, it's a difficult thing to do, but I just love that people are realizing that this person needs to talk to someone and it can't be me. So I get a lot of those questions. How can I encourage my son? How can I encourage my nephew? How can I encourage my sister? And that is showing concern and they realize that this is far above I think my school and pastors like this. This is not my area of expertise. I come from a spiritual background and this is far above my thing. How can I send them to you? So for for everybody listening, I want you to send out your hate mail and hate uh, text over to Gorilla Bear. Because uh, the wind tunnel is seriously, every time Brother Aaron is making a great point, the wind just decides to gust. So I, that's that's how I know that we're doing a great job right here. But to piggyback on what Aaron was saying, to go to answer your question, Justice, it has a lot to do about, so your friends give you advice, therapists help you open up in order to find your own vice or find your own way to go. Aaron said everything and it was great and I, I really don't want to you know, add on to anything other than just to say what makes me different, any one of our friends, is that their perspective is coming from their perspective. My perspective is coming from book learning practice and experiential uh, work in the field. In other words, I, I'm gonna, I'm well, wait, 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 Justice, you take a picture. Wait, wait, hold on, wait. You take a picture. You're, you're a photographer. Anybody that has a phone has a camera, but... If I'm not going to go and say I am a photographer and I can take your pictures and I show up with an iPhone and just snap. Now, can an iPhone take a great picture like a Canon or whatever have you? Yes. But if you're going to do it professionally, if you're going to you're going to do an A to Z process, you want to make sure you have the correct uh, equipment as well as knowledge. A brother that's just out there giving you hood, giving you hood therapy is just going to give you that first level. Like, oh, man, I think you, you should just man up. Or I just think I think ain't nothing wrong with you. Everything is cool. You know, be empathetic. Be open. You know, right. The break up with her, you know. Right. Right. They're going to give you they're going to give that nonsense. Right. What were you about to say, Justin? Oh, no. I think. He, well, the, the word that I was looking for was process. OK. Um, and I think the, the key that everybody needs to understand is that when you're talking to someone, it's a process, not even just for mental health. Right. You know, um, and that same process is probably a little bit exacerbated because of the mental health. And if you can, like brother said, if you don't have those tools to help that person get out of that wall, mm-hmm. I'm going to reiterate that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we 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 want to we want to know what's wrong with somebody, and we start them with talking, but then we can't fix it. Right. You, you can't. Know, and then that person <laughs> right. walks away. You know. <laughs> but like, dude, <laughs> what you, you know, feel worse. <laughs> And, and, and the brother said it, you know, greatly is a process. You know, right. he's gone through the training. You know, I, I do want to go back on, um, on something else that I do think is important. I do think that, and I think it's important for black men, um, especially in this conversation, and it's nothing against your training. Um, but there is a lot of good therapy that I think is just as good as, uh, your therapy because those individuals are older. Those individuals have gone through a whole lot of, like, actual experience in dealing with it. And so they can kind of give you an antidote. It might not be that therapeutic antidote. Mm-hmm. It's an antidote that you can use. Mm-hmm. It's something that, you know, can get you out. And so to the point of saying good therapy, going back to what the brother was saying, because mm-hmm. I think the point of good therapy is just that familiarity that happens to be the fact that we might be from the same mm-hmm. Right. You know what, what I mean? What, but good therapy, I use, I use, I'm an eclectic coach, so good therapy, good theory, so I'll use good therapy with CBT. Understand, just good 
therapy alone, a lot of people would have had their problems solved already so everybody just used for therapy alone. So there needs to be some therapy, there needs to be some, um, it may have to do a genogram. Mm-hmm, so if, I'm doing, mm-hmm. if I'm doing good therapy and I would realize that your grandmama has an alcohol problem, that's not that, you know, sometimes you need a genogram and say, you know what, this has been going on for yesterday, bro. What's happening here? And right. pointing that out. Exactly. So, an eclectic approach really works best in terms of, I, you know, I, I love it. It's, it's, hood, it's hood therapy and, right? It's, it's hood therapy and, and the no, process. And, right, and it's the now. and. That, that doesn't necessarily mean, that just means no one's discounting hood therapy. But as a professional, I'm using hood therapy and. I don't call it hood yeah, therapy I love, when I do it. I love hood therapy. And people, I mean, I've done like uh, panels and stuff when I point that phrase and people start cracking up. I love hood therapy and that's my goal. Because that's, I need to bring you in. And then I'm going to talk to you about Freud and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to talk to you. I can't bring you in. I can't bring you in on the stuff. And that's what I'm not in terms of being ignorant. It's in terms of mm-hmm. understood and you understand what I'm saying. Exactly. Yes. So if I can bring you to some good therapy and understand, all right, that's why you have something going on. Now I'm, I'm going to give you the background behind that. Okay. Now, you, now I got you. Okay. So what we're going to do, we're going to take we're going to take a little break. And on the other side of the break, we're going to have another clip. But I appreciate it. And once I, once again, for all those that are listening, go ahead and send a hate mail over to Gorilla Bear. You can find him. <laughs> you can find him on IG because this dude, every time something good is said, this brother's the wind seems to kick up. But we're <laughs> but we're gonna go ahead and take a break. We <laughs> for a little while and come on the other side. What I do want to address, we're gonna play a little clip on the other side of this break. But uh, you are listening to Unapologetically Black on W O V U L P Cleveland. 95.9 FM. If you have a news story or special interest topic you'd like us to consider, we welcome you to email us at program at W-O-V-U dot org or call our news line at 216 He didn't have to make this album. He chose to make this album and be in the public eye in this way. So he is accountable to all of us. And I don't think he likes it. That is it. And I think that you... (laughs) No, really. I mean, Uh, this is the thing that... I really struggle with this, Jenna. I mean, I emotionally struggle with it. You saw me crying at the bar on Friday when we met up to talk. I just... um, The state of his mental health is one thing. But I think he really does feel something that he can't really articulate as a black person. I think that there is a racism that he experiences at a level that I will never know. I'll never feel that. I'll never be that famous. And it has afflicted him. I mean, because he is as close as he's ever going to be to whatever it is he thinks freedom is. I mean, you know, he has survived being married to the Kardashians. He has aligned himself with this very powerful white man who believes that his whiteness is better than anybody else's anything else. And I just feel like he is tasting something that is rotten at its core. Absolutely. And is having a really hard time articulating how it is poisoning him. And I think that part of the reason I'm so emotional is because I can see him being poisoned. Yeah, of course. And I think that it's the exact 
poison that I feel I'm capable of having every day if somebody offers me an apple. Do I bite it? Seems good. But I can't because I think it'll make all my other black people sick. Welcome back to Unapologetically Black on WOVU LP Cleveland 95.9. We are your hosts, Just Ice and E. King. Our guest today is Aaron Muller, CEO of Life Matters Psychological Services. Our topic today is Black Males in Therapy. The clip uh, that you guys just heard was courtesy of New York Times podcast, Still Processing. In the clip, they talk about Kanye and some of the things that his poss- he may be having possible mental health struggle. But what stood out to me was Wesley Morrison's reaction to another black male and his possible struggle. So before we before we bring this in, well, Aaron, what were your thoughts about that clip? Well, he definitely was very empathetic and he definitely, definitely touched him in some way, shape or form. He may have aligned kindly in some way. Right. Um, from from what I from what I was hearing, as right. you can identify and um and what he's going through. Mm-hmm. What do you, on a personal level? Right on a personal like. level. Just yeah. what, what was your thoughts before I something significantly <laughs> stood out? Now we're, I don't I, I really don't want to talk about Kanye. I just really want to stay. I know, we ain't gonna talk about Kanye. Let's but just stay I, on. I really want to talk about the clip. Right. So go ahead. Um, I, I I listen to the clip and I listen to the clip and I hear two people who need counseling. Because, I don't know, I just hear two people that need counseling, you know, and if I can be frank, I, I, I don't know what their nationality is, um, but, you know, I would say that there was two white people talking about a black man that they don't understand, okay. um, which is typical. Um, and that kind of stuff, for me, is dangerous, okay. um, because I believe those kind of statements um, honestly push people over the edge, okay. uh, especially, you know, when you say <laughs> something like, oh, well, he put it out there, so um, it's our right to tear him apart. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. You know, he put this out there, so we, you know we get to um, tear him apart. Even the brother, even though he empathized with him, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like he was throwing shade at the same time. Both of these individuals are black. Both of these individuals uh, write uh, for culture pieces, and what they were actually talking about was Kanye and his his recent struggle and what's going on. But what stood out to me was one, he cried as a black man for another black man. Now, the black woman in the beginning stated that, hey, um, I cried about this. And when I initially heard it, it was like, oh, she cried. And then when he started to cry, I was taken aback by it. Why? Because one, it was a black man. And two, black men don't show emotions like that. Now, what if I tell you now, this is the other part that sticks out. People are going to dismiss this black man's emotions because he's also gay. Because he's gay, he's allowed to cry. That was that that part stuck out, stuck out to me more significantly than actually what he was saying. Because when you're gay, there's certain feminine, you know, quote unquote feminine emotions that you're allowed to have. But in turn, this guy is, is literally crying about another black man. That's what stood out to me. But I definitely heard, definitely heard kind of the uh, alignment, mm-hmm. so to speak, with what, what he experienced. So now that you're given kind of more background, he's probably experienced being ostracized by society because of his sexuality mm-hmm. and that nature. So it could, you know, and this is just all kind of guessing. You don't know. Right, you right. Know. Yeah. But, um, you know, you, you, could go a number, you could go a number of ways in terms of uh, diagnosing, so to speak, what, what, what he's going through. But you definitely hear the, um, the passion. In the black community, with black males, 
this guy's gay, so he's, he's allowed to react this way. Far too often, we're not allowed as, in, as black men to, to react in this way. And I think what we need to give, we need well, to give some... I think we're doing this conversation, I'm sorry, I have to. I think we're doing this, this conversation somewhat of a disservice because mm-hmm. we are talking about Kanye West. And they're talking about Kanye West. And if you're, again, you know, talking about mental health, you know, the reality of it is, is Kanye West is somebody who is trying to uh, bring some awareness. And he's being himself. Mm-hmm. And in the process of being himself, someone who has been marginalized, they themselves are now attacking, mm-hmm. you know, and not even realizing that they're attacking. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I see, you know. And maybe, again, there's two other people on, the, on, on this line that see something different. Mm-hmm. But I see... I see someone who understands racism and, and said in his, on, on, the, on the podcast, I will never understand the kind of racism that Kanye is experiencing. Mm-hmm. You know, but here is Kanye, and, you know, and I have to give him credit for this one thing. You know, he tried to create this clothing line, and they told him that he could create the clothing line after he went through what, you know, is the socially acceptable way of creating a clothing line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so for me, I have to say, you know, we got to be mindful of what it is that we say and we put it out there if the brother is bipolar and mm-hmm. he's saying I'm bipolar mm-hmm. and he's screaming I'm bipolar, you know, and this is a, I'm a superhero mm-hmm. because, because, and this is the other reason why I don't think brothers, you know, and I love y'all to death, but I don't think brothers go to um, counseling is because that stigma of being bipolar, mm. that stigma of being schizophrenic, mm-hmm. that stigma of having to, to talk to someone and not being strong enough. And as much as we know that it helps them, we have to fight that stigma as hard as that stigma is fighting them from coming to us, you know? And that stigma comes from, honestly, that podcast. I can't help but to hear, you know, shade in the podcast. Mm-hmm. I can't help but to hear, you know, snapbacks and, you know, so I have to be mindful of the person that's talking. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, you're on you're on a, a nationally syndicated uh <laughs> website. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's getting to hear you, but you don't hear and I think, you know, I thought the brother was white, you know. Think mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, nah, it's a it's a it's a gay a gay black man. And you would think that, you know, so again, my mind, that brother needs encounter. You know, because he says in the thing, you know, like I said, I empathize with him. He, I would never feel the racism that Kanye felt. Mm-hmm. You know, and going back to the, the purpose of this show, in a, um, Unapologetically Black, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the topic today, you know, if we're trying to get brothers to, to, to come over to the other side, we can't vilify them before they get mm-hmm. And to go back, go back to what Justin was saying about connecting with someone, and the black male suicide rate is actually rising, so adult... <laughs> Adult African Americans are 20% more likely to spend to report serious, you know, psychological distress than adult uh, ad, ad, adult whites. Uh, women are more likely to attempt suicide, but men are more like or, or four times more likely to die from suicide. And so, if we're if we're as men putting it out there, and I think this that's what we need to do. We need to put it out there and be more straightforward and saying there's other ways in order to in order to deal with what you got going on because our suicide rate in our community with black males are rising. Is it rising because we're not allowed to show emotions? And if we do show emotions, we're, we're, we're punks, sissies, or whatever have you. With this increase in suicide rate, is it the stigma, like Justice said? 
or is it we just don't have avenues that allow us to f- freely express who we are without right. you know fem- you know us be- being viewed as feminine well uh certainly times have changed and things getting worse and, and the climate of, 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 of the way things are people feeling more helpless than way out mm-hmm. uh, so this is the way to do it i mean i'm sure they've been doing it for a while but now it's becoming more recognized and, and, and more stances being done on it and, and more, more of a focus on mental health so now it's being reported mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so now we have to look at that, that as well like what's, what's changing in society what, what's going mm-hmm. on now that, that that black men are doing right right what do you, what you got jess you got something to add on that <laughs> yes i do Go ahead. um i i want to say uh out loud because i do know a lot of brothers right i know you three now you know i know a lot of brothers who do uh, who don't have a problem with emoting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times they're just not being heard. Mm. Or, you know, and I use uh, Facebook as a beautiful example, um, you know, a brother will um, express himself and someone will tell him that that expression is not the, the, the right feeling to have. It's not really what he means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I want to do, what I want you guys to do um, is to help those brothers who are trying to have a conversation who are trying to go out and find a, a counselor or whatever, you know, I guess, you know, know what to look for, know what to look, how to, to, to be able to maneuver through, you know, maybe that first initial attempt to, you know, be mentally fit. Mm-hmm. You know, what could, what could be, you know, you know, and I use myself as an example, I've been to counselor. You know, my process was, quite frankly, asking, you know, any brothers around me who did, and I think it was maybe like one or two that happened to be an alpha back in the day right. um, that that uh, that I was cool with, that he said he went, so I wound up going, um, and then I did research to make sure that the person that I was going to was great. Now, quite frankly, you know, I wound up going to a white lady who, after a couple of sessions, you know, told me, hey, you're all right, you just need a, a bunch of different friends. Mm-hmm. But that sense of because I really did feel like I was so weird that, you know, I needed to talk to somebody. But after talking to her, honestly, I was like, all right, I'm good. What I experienced is that we think we're communicating, you're really not. Right. So me as a black man, when I'm sitting with, when I'm sitting with male black male, I'm like, yo, something's going on. And I'm like, I don't understand anything you're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, that's one black man to another. I'm like, I'm like that's not clear. And I'm working with them in terms of articulating what yo and I was and I was saying and I was and that's not the wrong spoken like that. But I don't know what you say. Like in your head, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not word identification. Being specific. Right. Yeah. Being specific, right. Yeah. Intention about yeah. the word that you're using. Yeah. You feel like and I'm coaching them along. I'm like, that's not I'm like that's not a feeling. And I say just like that. I'm like, that's not a feeling. I don't know what you mean, bro. Right. I'm like, tell me I'm like, I need a I said I need a feeling, that's not a feeling. Allowing them to feel comfortable saying how they feel. I mean, if you want to go into so it's talking about gender and education, education, how to express themselves. So we behind. So how can you say how can you say what's wrong? You can't even identify. It's, it's about that time for us to get out of here. I want to thank Aaron Muller, CEO of Life Matters Psychological Services, located in New York, for joining us. We are your hosts, E. King and Just Ice. Our intro music is Black Republican by Nas, featuring Jay-Z. Please join us next Tuesday 
from 2 to 3 for another episode of Unapologetically Black on WOVULP Cleveland 95.9. If you missed any of our broadcasters, you can, or broadcasting, you can catch us on Stitcher by searching Unapologetically Black or on iTunes. There you will find some of our old shows. If you have a burning desire to hate on justice, you can go ahead and find us on Facebook by searching for Unapologetically Black. There you can leave a message and you can once again hate on him for for all this wind that he's given. But uh, thank you for listening and you have a blessed day. Peace. Don't hate on the beach, though. Don't hate on the beach. <laughs> all right. I'll catch you guys later, man. Much love. All right. Thank you.